This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate. I'm your host for today's program. Well, perhaps you've seen the bumper sticker that reads, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? Well, the point is, of course, that it wasn't God who moved. He never leaves us. So what do we do when we don't feel the intimacy that we once did with our Lord? Well, the enemy would have us believe that perhaps we lost our salvation. Friends, the issue isn't relationship, but fellowship with God. Our guest today will help us glean from the parables of Luke 15 to find that close intimacy with the Lord once again and to find assurance in our relationship with the Father. We're so happy to have back with us on Saving Grace, Dr. Dave Anderson, President and Professor of Biblical Languages and Systematic Theology here at Grace School of Theology. He's a graduate of Rice University. In addition, Dr. Anderson received his master's in theology and doctorate in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's the author of many books, including Maximum Joy, Triumph Through Trials, Position and Condition, among many, including the book that we're going to be drawing from today, Relationship and Fellowship. Welcome back, Dr. Anderson. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's always good to see your smiling face and get a chance to interact on Scripture, my favorite. Oh, I know it is. And I think this topic, I think, is is going to be so beneficial for all of us. Um, We're going to be talking about the parables. But before we get into the details of the parables in Luke 15, if you would, Dr. Anderson, set the stage for us. Uh, What prompted Christ to share the three different parables that we find uh, in Luke 15 regarding the lost. Who was his target audience mm-hmm. as well? Well, you get the tip off right at the beginning of the chapter because he said uh, all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. But the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying this man received sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them, saying... So uh, the real key to set this off is the word eat, eats with them. That was uh, a sign of fellowship. Uh, yeah, they didn't mind if uh, Jesus preached to these tax collectors and sinners. Uh, that's fine because maybe he could convert them or uh, you know get them to repent, turn around. But... Uh, He said, no, uh, they didn't like the fact that he ate with them because that meant he was having fellowship with sinners. The very word Pharisee means separatist, Mm -hmm. to separate. And it's talking about uh, staying away from sinners. And, of course, they viewed tax collectors as traitors to the nation of Israel because they were Jews, but collecting taxes for the Romans. So anyway, uh, that sets the stage for uh, these parables. Uh, So each one of them is is dealing with uh, this question of, well, why does he eat with sinners and uh, tax collectors? And so he's talking to the Pharisees, his response, correct? 
Pharisees and scribes. Uh huh. Yes. Okay. Well, and of course, we're going to be talking about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. So it seems to me we need to understand the term lost as used in these parables. Help us with that because many have been taught over the years that these passages are all about evangelism of those who do not believe. Help us to understand the term lost here, Dr. Anderson. Well, uh, when we hear the word lost, our minds have been conditioned uh, by church to think of people going to hell. Those are the lost. And in contrast, you have the saved. And so the saved are the people who are going to go to heaven when they die. So those are the two categories most people see. Now, if you actually get into the scriptures themselves, you find that the word saved is used in a whole bunch of ways. Only about half the time is it referring to uh, going to heaven. And the lost uh, very rarely refers to going to hell. Uh, and so the issue here is one of fellowship, not relationship. Uh, when Jesus was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, he was having fellowship with them. So the Pharisees are asking a fellowship question, not a relationship question. They want to know why he could get close to sinners, because yeah. their view was to separate from sinners. Yes. So uh, I remember one time a preacher was going to do an evangelistic uh series on these three parables and he asked me how i would set it up and i said well what makes you think the sheep wasn't a sheep and what makes you think the coin was not part of the necklace part of the ten and what makes you think the sun wasn't a sun and of course obviously the sheep was a sheep and the coin was with the other ten yeah. And the son had a brother and a father, and he was part of a family. Absolutely. So what you're finding is a sheep separated from the flock and a coin which was in possession and owned by the uh, gal here. And then finally you have a son who was part of a family. Now, we don't... Uh, we might leave our family, but we can't change the fact of the relationship of father to son, brother to brother. That's eternal. Nothing you can do to change that. You could change your last name. It wouldn't change the relationship. Mm-hmm. So what is at, uh, at stake here is loss of fellowship. And uh, so the sheep, when he wandered away, was all by himself. And he didn't have the support of the flock or the shepherd. Yes, so, yes. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I'm, 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 go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the shepherd chases after the sheep to bring him back into the fellowship of the flock. Uh, the lady uh, has, most scholars think uh, when it mentions 10, it's referring to what's called a semide, which was a front that they put over their foreheads uh, mm-hmm. with these coins. And that uh, this lost coin was part of that semity, and she chases after to find it, put it back in its rightful place. And then, of course, uh, things are a little different when it comes to the prodigal son. The father doesn't chase after him, but nevertheless, he's waiting for that son to come back and yes. become to enjoy the uh, fellowship of his family again, which was broken 
when he took off and uh, uh, wasted his inheritance. Oh, yeah. yes, for sure. Wow. Another term that we find in these passages is repent and repentance. Uh, but again, how do we know in this case that we're talking about fellowship and not salvation or relationship with God? Well, the word uh, or the verb repent or the noun repentance, uh, again, we've been conditioned by uh, church in many cases that teach you have to repent to go to heaven. Well, the problem with that is the book of John is the only book in the New Testament written specifically to help people go to heaven. You get that in John twenty thirty one where he's talking about the signs that were given in this book and why he wrote them in the book. And it was so people could believe in Jesus yeah. and find life. Uh, however, the word repentance of man to God is never used in uh, the whole gospel. Now, that's conspicuous by its absence. Did John not know the word for repent? Well, of course he did. Yes, he uh, did. You find he, the same man, wrote... They wrote the gospel, also wrote the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And in addressing the churches in chapter 2 and 3, seven churches, he calls for repentance for five of those churches. And the issue there wasn't that there were no Christians in the churches. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, excuse me, <laughs> in Revelation 2, uh, the Ephesian church had all theological I's dotted and T's crossed their issue wasn't bad doctrine or wrong belief. Their issue was their devotion, that they were out of fellowship with God. They lost their fire. Uh, they were no longer doing things that uh, on-fire Christians do. And so he says, repent and go back and do the first works. He's calling for yes. them to uh, get back in fellowship. It's not a relationship issue. So repentance in general uh, in the New Testament, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Something in the back of my throat. <laughs> I'm glad we can edit these things. <laughs> okay. Uh, repentance in general in the New Testament. In fact, I would argue is always in the New Testament when it talks when it's in the context of man's sin. Then it's an internal resolve to turn from one's sin. It's an internal thing. Mm-hmm. The actual turning from sin is the fruit of repentance. It's external. You can see it. Yes. Repentance is something of the heart. You can't see it. It's internal. That's why John the Baptist in Matthew three, when the Pharisees came to get baptized. He said, O brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And uh, he said, bring forth fruit that the old, you know, King James, is meat under repentance. He's saying, if you've really repented, that's on the inside. I can't see it. God can see the root. I can only see the fruit. Right. So bring out the fruit. The fruit of repentance would be to turn from your sins. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, He's, he's dealing with a internal resolve to turn from sin. And it's, it's a step of getting in fellowship with God. Many of those people coming to John had already believed 
They were already what we call born-again Christians. But they were out of fellowship with God because they were part of corrupt Judaism. Yes. To get back in fellowship, they had to repent. They also had to get water baptized. And if they were, wanted to disassociate from Judaism, which God was going to judge that's with the wrath to come, which was Titus, 70 AD, uh, then they had to repent. Repent, uh, be water baptized, and take a sacrifice uh, to the temple. Those are the three things they had to do. So, uh, you know, we could spend a long time on repentance. Right. Oh, but yeah. I, I just make the statement that it's uh, dealing with fellowship, not relationship. Not relationship. And so, in calling these people to repent or talking about joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, etc., it's talking about someone coming back into fellowship. Mm. Yes, yes. Thank you. Well, I, I want us to, uh, I think our most of our time will be talking about the prodigal son. However, we don't want to dismiss the importance of the sheep and the coin, uh, particularly since it, there's life application in these two parables that we need to need to grasp. So help us to uh, to look at the the each of those two parables, the coin and the sheep, uh with the application regarding the kind of sin that, that we're dealing with, if we make life, life application from these two parables. Well, sheep are interesting in contrast to dogs and uh, cats. They have no sense of direction. Mm. And so it wasn't uncommon for a sheep in uh, grazing to wander from the flock. Uh, you know, they're nearsighted, no sense of direction, and they were you might say following their noses, uh, looking for one green clump of grass after another. And so after a period of time, it could be lost, but it did so ignorantly. Mm. It didn't say in my heart, I can't stand these other sheep, they stink, I'm gonna <laughs> leave them. And uh, I don't even like that shepherd. So heck, heck if I'm gonna follow him anymore. Well, that would be deliberate known sin, a conscious decision to turn away from the flock. Yeah. Well, the picture here is not is not that. This is a sheep that out of ignorance uh, and misdirection got separated from the flock. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the same is true uh, in a sense with the coin, except that uh, the coin didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'll leave this lady. I don't like hanging over her forehead. I'm getting a sunburn. And so, sayonara. Uh, the coin was accidentally lost. Uh, and in this case, the coin was also uh, lost by the woman who owned it, mm -hmm. uh, in that case. And so you could call this accidental sin. And you could also say the coin was something of a victim. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, it was suffering as a result of what uh, was done to it. And so I think in, in life application, uh, it is addressing people who unwittingly, accidentally uh, wandered astray or gotten lost in the sense of fellowship, but at the same time may have been uh, hurt. Uh, as a pastor in the counseling I've done, I can't tell you what percentage of people coming in have been hurt by something in their youth growing up. Oh, no fact, doubt about uh, it. A lot of counselors talk about what they call the father wound, 
it doesn't mean the father was abusing the child, but uh, did something to really hurt the child that stuck with him uh, down through the years and was buried deep inside. And to get healthy, they have to work through that. Uh, but yeah. and sometimes uh, there's real abuse, uh, if not psychological, then physical. And those little girls or little boys are victims. And there's, there are a lot of people suffering in life because they were victimized uh, while they were growing up by somebody. Yes, yes, yes. We And we do. We see that over again and again. Uh, and some that are abused end up abusing others. And it doesn't excuse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's a choice they make. However, it can be traced back to their own abuse oftentimes. Yes, yes. Yeah, they're absolutely right. I ran into one gal who... Uh, Father was a pastor and had uh, four daughters, and he abused all four of them. Oh my! But uh, when they were when they grew up, you know, they couldn't beat their father up when they were little girls. So they transferred the father image over to pastors, other pastors, people who are like her father, mm. and she began seducing pastors. And my. Uh, I don't know how many, but at, at last count, there were four pastors. Wow. And that's how she got back, really, at her father. Yeah. She was abused, and then she abused others. Wow. So we have the sheep parable that applies to those who sort of, who sin out of ignorance, not knowing uh, what they were doing. Then there's also the coin that represents those who sin as a result of other sin or victims of sin or accidentally, if you say. But then you come to the prodigal son, and Dr. Anderson, it seems his sin is deliberate. Walk us through the rebellion of a son or daughter so that we can understand that hard intention and how it differs. Well, again, it, it was a calculated, premeditated decision. And he wanted his inheritance now. He was living for today, uh, not living for the future. And uh, so he decides he wants out of the family and he wants to go do what he can with his inheritance, and the father doesn't stop him. Yes. He let, lets him go. But one huge difference in these parables is that in the first two, uh, the first one, the shepherd goes after the sheep, and the second one, the woman is looking for the coin. So they're actively pursuing what, what was lost. But in the prodigal son, the father doesn't do that. Because the decision was premeditated, willful, deliberate, mm-hmm. he knows to chase after the boy would just drive him further away. So instead, he lets uh, circumstances and this world and who knows what else to run its course uh, over this young man's life. And so he is undoubtedly praying for him, but it says in the parable, he's also watching for him. He's, he, might, he might say he's on the front porch, straining his eyes to see any indication of his uh, son coming back. So he was waiting and looking and probably praying, yeah. which is different from the first two. I've known so many parents whose uh, children either wander away and are completely gone from the family and, and the church, pursuing their own pleasure or their own dreams and they come, the parents come to me and they don't say it this way but essentially can you fix my son 
And my response is, does your son want fixing? And I've found through the years, I can't help someone if they don't want help. Right, right. So they have to come to a point where they want help. And, of course, the prodigal son came to that point. He got, he realized his father's servants were had a better life than he had. <laughs> exactly. Hello? <laughs> so That's he right. decides to, to come back. And that, you know, I think uh, I was a prodigal, and I've had prodigals. Uh, so I, I know... Uh, you know, the prayer is like, Lord, um, just help them to become disgusted in the life they've chosen and to remember, to recall the life they had in Christ and yeah. to draw them back, to draw them back to the love that, as you always say, Dr. Anderson, can't be earned or can't be lost. Because that's really yeah. the heart's desire, but yeah. yet the world lures them away in uh uh, I know there are a lot of hurting parents today who yeah. long for their children to come back, but it seems prayer is the only thing we can do, Dr. Anderson, until they make that decision that they don't want to live like that anymore. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Uh, they really need to know the difference between acceptance and approval instead of the yeah. parents. Uh, yes. God's love for us, as you say, can't be earned, can't be lost because it's unconditional. It's what we call agape love. It's totally unconditional. And that's the way it is if you're part of a family. You know, when a, the prodigal takes off, the heart of the parents just aches and aches and aches. Because no matter how nasty the child may get, even toward the parents, there's that familial love that just isn't going to go away. It's always there. Uh, that's why you see, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, well, where do they go? They had family reunions because the parents never could release the child. And people get acceptance and approval confused. Uh, the acceptance is 100%. That love is there. The uh, approval is a different issue. I, I may love my child unconditionally, but if he... Uh, becomes part of a cartel in Colombia, I wouldn't approve of that. So, true, true. same with our father. Uh, his love for us is unconditional. That's why the father here is sitting on the front porch watching yeah. for uh, the child to come back. But um, that doesn't mean he approves of what his child is doing. And for that, the child needs to come back and repent. Yes, yes. Now, he's not repenting well, for the relationship. The relationship right. is, is intact and it's eternal. Yes, Even if the yes. father went to heaven and the son went to hell, that's still a father-son relationship that goes on for eternity. But what's out of sync here, out of kilter, is fellowship. The father and the son are not having fellowship, which I define as enjoying the relationship. They have the relationship, but they're not enjoying it. Right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, and that that's extremely difficult. The, the fellowship is what we long for, no doubt about it. Well, finally, uh, in, in the time we have, let's talk about the older son. Because, you know, oftentimes we sort of dismiss him. We're talking about the prodigal. Uh, but this truly is a story about the father, the father's love. And then there's that elder brother who... He says, I've always been good. I've always done the things you wanted me to do. Talk to us about that elder son and, and who he represents and the life application we need to make there. 
Well, the main problem with Olderson is he was a legalist. And how do we know that he was a legalist? Because he was mad at his father. Now, he couldn't get mad at his father unless he thought the father owed him. Mm. And was not giving him what he deserved. Yes. He behaved better than his younger brother. So he deserved more than the younger brother in his own eyes. And when the father wasn't forthcoming, then he got angry. Mm. So when you apply that into the spiritual world, uh, the legalists will get mad at God when he doesn't get what he thinks he should have. I remember a pastor friend of mine quit the ministry one time, and I spent time with him, and he was so angry. Uh, he was so angry that I didn't give him any direction for about six months. But I got with him at least once a week. Yeah. Many, many times in those six months. That's 26 meetings. And I didn't keep scorecard. But, right. Uh, he was mad at the elders of his church. He was mad at his wife. He was mad at life in general. And so finally I was ready and I said, you know, Bob, what your issue is? No, what's my issue? I said, you're a legalist. He said, I'm not a legalist. I've taught the book of Galatians three times. I know what legalism is. I said, you're a legalist. Why am I a legalist? I said, because you're mad at God. Because you sacrificed your career that you could have had in the world, where you could have been famous maybe and made a lot of money, uh, to become a pastor, and teacher of scripture, etc. You think he owes you good children. And you think he owes you a great wife. And you think you, he owes you the respect of the elders. And because you don't have what you thought you should have, you're mad at him. And until you get that cleared up, things are going to get worse and worse for you. Mm. So the, the elder brother was a legalist. Uh, yes. He thought God owed him. And uh, because of that, he was mad at his father. And he might well have hated his younger brother. Who, who knows? But until you got clear that the blessings we have are just God's grace. We come into the family of God by his grace, and we're sustained by his grace. And though he rewards us for living faithful lives when we appear before him, uh, he doesn't owe us. He's still giving it to us out of, out of his love and out of his grace. Amen. Yes. Thank you so, so much. Well, this has been so helpful. I know um, for all of our listeners, it certainly has been for me as well. Uh, we do thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Anderson, for bringing us the insight into these parables. Uh, I hope this uh, discussion has motivated you to check out Dr. Anderson's book, Relationship and Fellowship, as he talks more about the parables in Luke 15. In addition, we invite you to consider the many courses that we offer here at Grace School of Theology, or for those who simply want to know our Savior more, uh, love Him more deeply, check out Grace on Demand through our Grace Center for Spiritual Development. Our website, gsot.edu, that's gsot.edu. We are so glad you've joined us today. Please tell others about Saving Grace and remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You've been listening to Saving Grace. For more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program, visit our website at 
gsot.edu slash center. Or download the Grace app through your smartphone. Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.